Uh, if you would take God's Word out and find 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to finish the passage that we started last week. And this morning we're looking at the subject matter, the beauty and power of a disciplined and guarded life. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Paul says, beginning in verse 22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Father, we're so grateful for these words in the book of 2 Timothy. From an older, wiser, more mature saint of God, writing to a young man about issues that he needs to be mindful of in his life and in his ministry. And Father, we thank you for these words as they are applied to our lives, reminding us that we are to be different and distinct than the world. You've called us to live as salt and light, and to be a testimony for Jesus. And so, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, we pray that you would take your word and everything that was told to young Timothy that we would apply it to our lives, that we might be the best that we can be for you. Help us to guard our lives. Help us to discipline our lives towards godliness. Help us to live with focus and purpose till Jesus comes. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. I want you to think with me this morning about several different personalities that we run across in the Word of God. Now, a couple of them will be very similar in what they gave themselves to, but one of them will be very different. First of all, I want you to think with me about a young man that very soon in this study in 2 Timothy, we will be coming across his life. You see, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul is going to write about this man by the name of Demas. Now, Demas was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. But the Bible says he loved this present world more and he turned back to this world. And so Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Timothy, I want you to come to me as soon as you possibly can. We know that, that Paul was in a cold, dark dungeon there in Rome. And he was about to give his life for the sake of the gospel. And he said, Timothy, please come before winter if you can. And when you come, bring a coat with you and bring the parchments. I'm all alone. Demas has forsaken me and turned back to this world which he loved more. What a sad testimony. 
And then I think also about a young man that the Lord Jesus met in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10 says, As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But then by way of contrast, I think about Mr. Integrity himself, Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I want to ask each of us this morning, what would happen if your life were investigated? What if your life were put under a microscope and everybody could see every little nook and cranny of your life? What is it that others would see? In this section of 2 Timothy, we begin looking again at what we started last week. Paul's admonitions to young Timothy to present himself to the Lord as a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed so that when his life is evaluated one day before the Bema Seat of Christ, Timothy could hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I want to remind you of that metaphor that Paul used that we looked at last week. He used a metaphor of a large house. And in a large house there would be different kinds of vessels. Some of those vessels would be for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. And he admonished Timothy, Timothy, you need to clean your heart, you need to clean your life, and the church as a whole, we need to clean ourselves of anything that would be dishonorable so that we would be that honorable vessel before the Lord. Now as part of that discussion, our text this morning comes into play. We didn't have last time, we didn't have time last week, I should say, to finish this text. It began in verse 14. It runs all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 26. But what I want you to see this morning is the text that I've read doesn't occur in isolation from what has gone before. It's the application of what went before. If we are going to be an honorable vessel to the Lord. 
What is it that we're going to have to do? And, and or, what, what are we going to have to flee from? And what do we need to embrace? You see, that's what I want us to look at this morning. What does it mean to clean your house of the dishonorable items? What does it look like and what all will be involved in that? First of all, this morning I want you to see to be an honorable vessel to the Lord, there are things that the servant of God must flee. Read with me again verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Paul begins here by saying flee youthful passions. He uses a word that our word fugitive comes from. We are to be a fugitive from youthful passions. We're to get as far away as possible from youthful passions. Now it sounds very much like his counsel to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 with me and begin reading in verse 6 of that passage. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. But those who, de- who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is, uh, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. When we hear the word youthful passions, we immediately think of sensual things, fleshly things. And certainly that phrase has to do with that, but it has to do with so much more. Youthful passions, as we'll see in a moment, encompasses a number of things. But again, it does encompass those fleshly desires that that people may be tempted by and they struggle with and we need to flee from those things. You know, I think of the classic biblical example of somebody who did that. Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, Genesis 39. The Bible tells us in Genesis 39 that Joseph was a very well-built young man and he was very, very handsome. Well, he served in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph. She set her affections on Joseph and when her husband was not around, she would continue uh, to make pleas for him to have intimate relations with her. On one occasion when her husband was out of the house, the Bible says she made that plea again to Joseph. And Joseph turned away from her and she grabbed his outer garment. She grabbed his cloak. What did Joseph do? He shed that outer cloak and he got out of that house as fast as he could. He fled. He didn't sit down on the edge of the bed and say, Come here, honey. Come here. Sit down here and let's talk about this issue a while. He got out of Dodge. He got out of there. He fled. 
And that's what we need to do with these sinful fleshly passions. We need to stay away from places where we should not be. Let me ask you, do you visit any places that you know as a child of God where you shouldn't be? You need to stay away from places like that. Maybe some of you even need to go so far as to throw your computer in the trash can. You may need to do that. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul gave a good word to the unmarried who were dealing with lust. He said, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What sensual fleshly passions or temptations do you need to flee from that might end up hurting your testimony? But as I say, it includes a lot more than that. There tends to be an impatience about youthfulness. There's an impulsiveness that oftentimes goes along with youthfulness. There can also be a desire for the things of the world. A young person may dream of being famous or rich or powerful or having some great old big position in their life. And their whole life is spent pursuing those things of the world and they end up too late realizing that everything they've lived for doesn't mean anything. Jesus had something to say about that too, didn't he? Matthew chapter 6. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you remember how he closed out that uh, passage. He said, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Folks, listen to me. We need to stop and ask ourselves, are we fleeing from all of these passions of the world? Because the world tries to preach a message to us day in and day out that all that matters is what's around us that we can see and touch and feel. And it is a lie. The servant of God is to live for higher passions than the passions of the world. Are you and I fleeing the passions of the world? Thinking back to 1 Timothy 6 again, we need to be reminded that Paul said there, some have plunged themselves into ruin by these wrong desires. Dr. George Sweeting used to be the pastor of that famous Moody Church and then the president of Moody Bible Institute. He tells the story on one occasion of taking his family on a vacation to Niagara Falls. He said it was spring and large chunks of ice had broken off and were rushing down the river. He writes, as I viewed the large blocks of ice flowing toward the falls, I could see that there were carcasses of dead fish embedded in the ice and gulls, seagulls by the scores were riding down the river feeding on those fish. 
As they came to the brink of the falls, their wings would go out and they would escape from the falls as the chunks of ice would plunge over. He said, I watched one gull which seemed to delay and wondered when it would leave. It was engrossed in the carcass of a fish. And when it finally came to the brink of the falls, out went its powerful wings. The bird flapped and flapped and even lifted the ice out of the water. But the chunk of ice was too big. It had delayed too long so that its claws had frozen into the ice. The weight of the ice was so great that the gull plunged over the edge and into the abyss. Hopefully we've all matured a bit to realize that life is fleeting away. Only one life I have to live, only one life to present to Christ. Only what is done for Christ will last. Are you fleeing the passions of this world? Whether it's sensual passions or passions for things of the world. Are you fleeing those things that do not bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? Looking down to verse 23, we see something else that the servant of God must flee. He says there in verse 23 that we've got to flee from needless arguments. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Now folks, as I mentioned last week, in essentials there needs to be a unity, but in non-essentials there needs to be charity. Essentials, unity. Non-essentials, we need to show more charity. We don't need to argue about every little thing or die on every single hill. And by the way, I am so grateful that you don't. You don't argue about all these little things that some church bodies do. One of the characteristics of immaturity in a person is that they've got to be right about everything. They will argue about anything and everything till they're blue in the face. And Paul says to Timothy, don't do that. I like the way the NIV translates it. It says, stay away from stupid arguments. Some of the arguments that we get embroiled in are foolish. They're stupid and they're not worth our time. And we need to stay away from things like that. As a servant of God, you need to ask yourself, am I a contentious person? Do I argue too much? Do I pick fights? Have I always got to be right about everything, things that don't even matter? Paul says in verse 24 that God's servant must not be that way. He goes on to say that the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Now he didn't say that the Lord's servant must agree with everybody all the time because we have honest agreements with people. But he did say that we need to be kind to everyone. Now you know that might be a good verse to dwell on a little more in this particular election cycle. Amen? I wish the politicians would read this too. One of the things I'm noticing about society today is just how ugly everybody is becoming. 
I, I know it's something that's always been with us, but it seems like it's getting worse and worse. We're more and more divided today as a culture, and we're more and more angry about things and more and more vicious with our words. And I think social media is adding greatly to this. I read some of these discussions that people post on their social media pages and what they say about others. And you read some of these news feeds on the news homepages. And after these articles, people will comment. And I read some of those comments. And I think how ugly this person is being towards these. Folks, as God's servant, don't get involved in that. I want to ask you. I, I know many of you use social media pages. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anybody in here. Uh, because I, I, I don't know whether you've posted it or not, but you know before God if you've posted things on social media saying ugly, contentious, vicious, rude, and unkind things about others. Don't do that as a servant of Christ. Paul mentions in verse 26 that Timothy will have to deal with people who have been captured by the devil to do his will. The Greek tense carries with it the idea that some people have not only been captured, but they are even held. They're imprisoned by the devil to do his will. And folks, we're not going to win the day. We're not going to win the argument if we get down in the mud with them. By dealing kindly with people and talking to them respectfully, hopefully we can help people to see what God would have us to do. And so instead of being unkind and vicious with people, talk to them. If somebody opposes you, help them to see why as a Christian you hold to the convictions that you do. Don't compromise your convictions, but help them to see why those are your convictions based on the Scripture. Try to have a teaching dialogue with them. And if they, if they understand, who knows, you may win a brother or sister to the Lord. But one thing we do know. We won't win them to the Lord by so many of these vicious exchanges we see today. We're not going to accomplish anything for the glory of God through that. But I want you to notice the Christian who wants to be an honorable vessel doesn't just flee away from certain things. We're not just defined by what we stay away from. But secondly, I want you to see, to be an honorable vessel to the Lord, there are things that the servant of God must pursue. Read with me again verse 22. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, don't be defined by just what you stay away from. But what do you pursue? Pursue is a strong word, isn't it? What are you running after? What are you bringing all of your energies to bear on in your life that you're chasing after, that you're running after? You see, he says here that there are things that we need to pursue. Now, before we get into naming those one by one, there's a story that Jesus told about this very issue that I want to share with you. 
It's a story that comes out of Luke chapter 11 that has to do with this. And when you first read that story, if you don't understand the immediate context and then the larger context, you would read that story that Jesus told and you would think, what in the world is he talking about? But when you understand the context, you say, aha, that's what he meant. In Luke 11 it says when Jesus said when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none it says I will return to my house from which I came and when it comes it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Again, you've got to understand the context. As far as the immediate context, we need to remember that Jesus was going through a period of time of being opposed by the religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't understand why Jesus was hanging out with some of the people he was hanging out with. Now Jesus wasn't joining in with those people in their activity, but he was hanging out with them, trying to win them uh, to himself. And some of the leaders didn't understand that. And then in the larger context, you have to think all the way back to the Old Testament days when God led the, the children of Judah into 70 years of captivity captivity in Babylon you remember the northern kingdom had already been destroyed and overrun by the Assyrians but Judah the tribes of, uh, of the south they continued doing some of the sins of their northern brothers and sisters and God said I'm going to send you into exile if you keep doing that they kept doing that and God sent them into a 70 year captivity now they learned their lesson in that 70 year captivity. They turned away from some of the idolatry that they'd been involved in. They'd been just like their pagan neighbors instead of being different. And they learned that lesson. They came back out of exile and then during the period of time between the Old and New Testament, we call it the, the 400 silent years, there was this group known as the Pharisees that developed. That's when the Pharisees started. And, and that word Pharisee meant a separated one. And the Pharisees became kind of like the religious police. And they started out with very good motives. They were going to make sure that never again in Israel did they commit the same kinds of sins that led them into captivity to begin with. And so they swept the house clean clean of everything that had got them in trouble with God. But they became very legalistic and once they swept the house clean, they didn't fill it with what it needed to be filled with. Remember how Jesus told them on one occasion, you choke at gnats uh, or choke at uh, uh, gnats and swallow camels. You, you emphasize all the wrong things like love and mercy and justice while making a big deal of some of these other things. And the Pharisees became very oppressive with people and like religious police. Again, they swept the house clean, but they had not filled it 
They had not filled it with good things. And Jesus said in that story there in Luke 11, what ends up happening in a person's life like that, they end up being worse in the long run than they were to begin with. You say, how in the world does that tie in with 2 Timothy? Because again, Paul is not telling Timothy just to sweep his house clean and stay away from some things, but he's also telling him to fill his house and fill his mind and his heart with other things. There are things that the child of God needs to pursue. And Paul names those here. He talks about righteousness and faith and love and peace. I want you to underscore those things in verse 22. Circle them or underline them in your Bible. Because folks, those are the things that Paul is naming here that you and I need to make sure that we're embracing and pursuing. Let's talk about each one of them a minute. Righteousness. Now, righteousness is used in the Bible two different ways. First and most importantly, there is imputed righteousness. And then after imputed righteousness, there is reflected righteousness. Now, I think Paul is telling Timothy here about reflected righteousness, the second of the two ways it's used. But let me talk a minute about imputed righteousness. What does it mean to have imputed righteousness? Well, it's like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. Imputed righteousness says that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to my account and your account. When we look to Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, Christ bears all of our guilt, all of of God's wrath against sin. He bore all of that on the cross. He died in your place as your substitute so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's imputed righteousness. That's most important because if you don't have imputed righteousness, you're not even saved. I think what Paul is emphasizing here though to Timothy is reflected righteousness. For those who are in a state of imputed righteousness, then our lives are to reflect the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Like father, like son or daughter, there ought to be a family likeness. If you claim to know God, if you claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet your life doesn't look anything like Jesus, then guess what? You're not a believer. John makes that very clear in 1 John. That if we say that we abide in Him and yet we walk in darkness, and he's not just talking about an occasional stumble, he's talking about if we walk in darkness as a pattern of our life and don't care about the commandments of God, if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. I've got, I've got a message for somebody maybe here this morning. You are not a Christian just because you say that you are a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, your life has got to look a little more like his life. 
Reinhold Niebuhr, a, a, Niebuhr, a skeptic, philosopher, once said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you've got to look a little more redeemed. That's reflected righteousness. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to pursue that. You've got to embrace that. You need, to be, you need to be studying and reflecting on and praying about qualities that, that Jesus Christ would have you to have in your life. And constantly asking yourself, do I look like a Christian? Do I walk and talk like a Christian? Do I think like a Christian? Am I reflecting the righteousness of Jesus Christ to others? That's something you and I need to pursue. Folks, we don't need to leave our Christian walk to accident. Pursue righteousness. Are you doing that? Again, it's not just fleeing sin, but pursuing the right things. Several weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I I told a very tragic story that has to do with reflected righteousness. Has to do with Dr. James Kennedy. You remember Dr. James Kennedy, pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Several years back, he had a heart attack and he's passed away. James Kennedy wrote an evangelism program called Evangelism Explosion. Anybody in here ever been through Evangelism Explosion? Wonderful six-week program teaching you to share your faith in Jesus Christ. Much like Dennis and his ministry shares with people how to share their faith in Christ. Dr. Kennedy, when he was a young man, he was visiting with an older minister and he was blown away by what ease and success that older minister was able to sit down with people and lead them to faith in Christ. And Dr. Kennedy said, I want to be able to do that and I want to be able to teach other people to do that. And so he wrote this course, Evangelism Explosion, was the fruit uh, of his desire. When they published Evangelism Explosion, along with it, they sent out a survey and they asked Christians. Here here comes the tragic part. They, they, They asked Christians, if you do not share your faith in Jesus Christ with others, why don't you? Now, they were expecting answers you and I would expect. They thought they'd get answers come back. I don't share my faith in Christ because I'm not sure I know how to. I I, I don't know verses or I'm not sure how I would tell my testimony exactly. Uh, If I sat down with a friend or a family member or a co-worker, they might reject me or they might make fun of me. They were expecting all of those answers. But you want to know what the number one answer they got was? Why people said, I don't share my faith in Christ. I don't share my faith in Christ because of the life that I know that I'm currently living. Isn't that tragic? Satan must delight in that. Paul is saying to Timothy, pursue righteousness. So that you would not be ashamed for your life to be put on display. 
so that your walk will match your talk and you would be more than happy to share your faith in Jesus with others without being called a hypocrite. Reflected righteousness. And then Paul says on top of that, he says pursue faith. Uh, Probably he means to pursue to grow in your faith and your faithfulness. Uh, Again, the Christian life doesn't take place by accident. Now folks, I don't want you to be confused here about faith. There's different ways faith is being used. We know that salvation is a gift from God. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It is by grace we've been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. You don't earn your salvation. You don't work for it. Everything about it, grace, mercy, faith, everything is the gift of God from beginning to end in salvation. It's God's doing in you to bring about the new birth. I want to be very clear on that. But that's not the sense in which Paul is talking about faith. He's talking about faith here in the sense of growing. As J. Oswald Sanders said on one occasion, you're as close to God right now as you want to be. Pursue faith. Then he said, pursue love. Love God and love your neighbor. You remember that occasion where Jesus was asked, Master, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus responded by saying, the greatest commandment of all is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, all of the law and the prophets hinge on those two commandments right there because you see if I'm loving God with all my mind heart soul body and strength that's going to take care of everything in the Bible that has to do with the vertical relationship my relationship with Christ and then if I'm loving my neighbor as myself that's going to take care of all the horizontal commandments in the Bible that have to do with my relationships to other people Just think about it. Jesus said the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. First and second, greatest commandments. Are you pursuing love as a child of God? Pursuing love. Folks, again, I want you to understand the strength and the emphasis that Paul is putting here. Chase after, pursue righteousness, faith, and love. Chase after these things. And he adds one more to it, doesn't he? Peace. Peace. I want you to think about this. Since the fall of man, the world is a very divided place. I don't have to tell you about that. You look at the headlines every day and you know how divided we are as a culture. The second Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden, what happened? Adam and Eve themselves got divided against one another. They were blaming one another. And then in the very next chapter, one of their sons, Cain, was rising up against their other son, Abel, and and took his life out in a field one day. Read your Old Testament history, all all the lack of peace. And how God's children were to be different in the land. And then the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, 
Jesus that gives us peace with God, reconciles us to God and one another. I want you to think about something here. God is a reconciling God who brings peace. Amen? He brings peace between us and the Father. And Christians can be at peace with one another and with those around us. If I'm a Christian who claims to have God in me, again, what kind of God is God? He is a reconciling God who brings peace. And so if I claim to have a relationship with Him and He lives in me through the power of His Holy Spirit, then I ought to be a person who communicates peace. Pointing others to the peace that they can have in Christ and then being at peace with my fellow man. That's how my life should be if I claim to know Him. And we know that God even initiated this peace with people who didn't deserve it. And so if I'm going to be like Christ and reflect His peace and pursue peace, I've even got to reach out to those around me who I may not think deserve it. But I do it anyway. I take the initiative because Christ took the initiative with me. Pursue righteousness. Faith, love, peace. Can I challenge you this week? That's just that's four things that he's talked about there. Just four. Take a day. Take a day, each one. Think about righteousness. Pray about that. Am I pursuing? Am I, am I chasing after righteousness? Am I chasing after? Am I growing in my faith? Am I pursuing love? Am I pursuing uh, peace? Every day, just take one of those things and reflect on it. Use the other days of this week to reflect on those things you ought to be fleeing away from. Fleeing away and chasing after. That's what Paul is saying here is involved in a disciplined and a guarded Christian life. I want to close this morning by reading a letter to you, okay? Now don't don't go packing up yet. I'm not done. Some of you are packing up. I want to read a letter to you out of church history. This is a real letter, okay? This is not fabricated. It's not made up. It's a real letter. Comes to us from around the beginning of the second century, and it's describing the lives of the early Christians as the first century closed out and as the second century began. We don't know exactly who it was written to. It's believed that it was written to a Roman official by a believer who was giving a defense for the way the early Christians were living their lives. Okay? Now I want you to listen to this letter. By the way, you can go online and find it. It's called The Letter to Diognetus. And I'm only going to read a portion of this letter out of chapter 5. It's a long letter, and I'm only going to read a portion out of chapter 5, and just a portion of it, not even the whole chapter. You'll be glad of that, right? 
What was that plaque somebody gave me? Preachers just go on and on and on and on. Listen to this letter. Letter to Diognetus. What is a Christian? Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language, or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens who are just passing through. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill their unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws of the land, and they even go beyond the laws of the land in their own witness. They love everybody, but are persecuted by all. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through uh, They are dishonored and yet gain glory through their dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and they bless in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully towards others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and persecuted by Greeks. Yet those who hate them, when asked, cannot really give a reasoned argument for their hatred. Folks, isn't that a powerful letter? Describing how the early Christians lived their lives and the testimony they left behind for others. Without a doubt, we would have to say the early church was a body of believers who fled what they ought to be fleeing and they pursued what they ought to be pursuing. ask you a question this morning what if a letter was written to future generations about how Christians lived their lives in 2016 what do you think that letter of us would say would it look anything like this letter to Diognetus What would a letter of your life look like? What would people say of you? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning perhaps there are matters that come to your mind that need to be cleaned out of your heart and mind. You know that there are things, there are passions 
of this world that you have given a home to in your heart and mind. And those things need to be laid this morning at the feet of Jesus. And say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. Every day give me strength to flee these things that do not honor you. Lord, give me strength over, over temptation in these areas. Maybe you have a quarrelsome spirit or a resentful attitude. Or you haven't been gentle with your words. Ask the Lord to put a restraint on your words. Maybe you've not pursued in life what you know a child of God ought to be pursuing. Ask God to redirect your passions and pursuits this morning. That you would pursue those things that you would if Jesus Christ in the flesh were standing right there beside you. Because He is beside you. Maybe this morning as I talk about peace, there's somebody here who would say, Pastor, you know, I don't, I don't have peace with God. You need to come to Christ this morning. Experience His peace, His love, His imputed righteousness. I'll be down here to pray with you. The altar's open. If there's something you need to pray about, about fleeing and pursuing you need a church home, I'll be here to pray with you. Lord, have your way and your will in the hearts of your people as we sing together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.